episode of Stoke Meter. And today we have the amazing Stephen Ritz with us today. Stephen is a speaker, educator, innovator, urban farmer, and we're going to get into that in a moment. He is also the author of The Power of a Plant and the founder and chief eternal optimist of the Green Bronx Machine. That's a mouthful there. But Stephen, welcome to the show. Well, good morning. <laughs> well, I, I, we were actually. I was, I was introduced to you through uh, Jill Moses, I believe. Oh, okay, in the Bronx, yeah. good old Jill. Yeah, yeah, and the when inspired I, when community. And exactly, and all of you are doing so much there in New York City, but your story was something that just, just. Far it, it goes in far-reaching corners. Now, just just so you know, I I grew up on a farm. Gary grew up on a ranch, and so just to see what you're doing with plants and such in the Bronx is amazing. And well, just, it's not only the Bronx. You know, we're in 675 countries, 675 schools across the country. Wow. We're in about, we're in about 20 schools. We've got 800 schools signing on in Italy. We're in the UAE, from Cairo to Colombia. From you know, from Doha to Dallas, we are everywhere. <laughs> How in the heck did you get started on this? This is—it's just such an amazing story. It you know, it is an amazing story, and it goes to show you that a seed well planted can give you a crop of epic proportions. But I'm not a farmer; I'm an educator. I'm still waiting for the Knicks to call me back. I'm <laughs> mindful of our experience at ASU, where I did the triathlon, but you know. The bottom line is magic can happen anywhere and seeds represent genetic potential. And I believe that the greatest natural resource in the world is the untapped genetic potential residing in marginalized communities around the world. Now, the beautiful thing about a seed is that a seed wants to germinate. All it needs is ideal conditions. Um, so mindful that I am not a farmer, when I accidentally got some seeds in the ground and magic happened, I thought that was a very teachable moment particularly in the middle of public housing, particularly in the middle of the South Bronx, and 165,000 pounds of vegetables later, here we are, growing organically grown citizens, graduates, members of the middle class, high-performing schools, and happy, healthy children, all through the art and science of growing vegetables indoors, aligned to, you know, 90% less water, 90% less space in a classroom, four stories up in the middle of public housing. Oh, that's so goodness. cool. So what what was that moment for you? Like you, you said you dropped some seeds in the ground. That didn't happen by accident. Like, you no. Know, so I've had a couple of uh, I've had a couple of big aha moments. <laughs> you know, the first one was literally, you know, I, I was after some tragedy in my life. I wound up taking a new job at a new school. I wound up taking and simply the sole requisite for my employment was how close I could be to my physical home. So I went into like, a, you know, the open search market availability for teaching and didn't care about the school, didn't care about the position, what was closest to my home. And I wound up picking a school that lo and behold had a 17% graduation rate. Oh, Imagine wow. what that means. We had 256 felonies in the building. Um, we had 18 armed policemen and 48 school safety agents in a high school that was operating at 194% capacity at the turn of the millennium. Um, literally there was a police precinct on campus. It was insane. And of all things, I was charged with teaching 17 overage, undercredited children that came out of prison, who <laughs> often had, who many of whom had children of their own, and honestly were in prison um, largely due to crimes of opportunity. 
if they were born elsewhere, had better better resources, odds are they never would have been part of the criminal justice system. So that in bemoans an underlying issue uh, that that is, you know, far too prevalent in 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 low status communities. And but basically, you know, these kids were grown adults in little kids bodies with underdeveloped mind, many of whom had children their own. And I was charged with teaching them of all things science with no <laughs> science background. And literally, I was relegated to a room in the basement where we locked them and me in from the inside and the outside. And oh, I was told man. to, you know, do anything. And I didn't know what to do. So I frantically put out a call on the Internet to my friends, um, you know, help. I'm teaching science. I need something. Send me a microscope, a telescope. Any Anybody know anything because I am clueless. And of course, I heard absolutely nothing. About six weeks later, I'm sitting in the class struggling along, and I'm doing a good job of building community. The young people respected me. I respected them. I I'm very good about building respect and community no matter where I am. And long made short, I get an announcement. Mr. Ritz, come to the principal's office through the speaker <laughs> in the back of the classroom. And they're like, oh, God, Ritz is fired for being too nice to us. I had a very good <laughs> the young They adored me. I adored them. Um, but let me, let me be clear. These were young people with issues. And I was a teacher with a lot of issues. I had some family issues. I had a lot of anger around how the system treated special needs kids. I had a lot of frustration. Um, so I, I was what was known as an insurgent, for sure. And I certainly spoke my mind. And I was also a child advocate in a system that really doesn't care too much about children, but under the pretense of caring, particularly at the turn of the millennium, you know, I was a live wire. So the kids are figuring, oh, wow, Mr. Ritz is going down there. You know, they finally found out he's been nice to us. He's been kind to us. The party is over, so to speak. I walk into the principal's office and there's the secretary. And she has this huge box on her desk. She's like, Mr. Ritz, this box is for you. And I'm like, yes, Christmas has come. My prayers have been answered. Someone heard my prayers. And like a kid on Christmas morning, I rip open this box. And uh, inside the box are these things. I look at them and they're like onions. These <laughs> all things like onions. And I am like, WTF, what are these things? This sucks. You know, like, what are the kids are going to kill me with this. This isn't science. This is some kind of bullshit. And uh, I literally, I take the box. I walk out dejected. This, this is the worst thing that could have happened. Like, this is a cruel prank. I walk back to class. The, the young people are happy that I still have a job. They're like, what's in the box? I'm like, I don't know. I threw it behind a big radiator behind a window, and I forgot about it. And it was back to kind of business as usual, building community. Um, I'm doing small things that really validated these young people's presence in school and their lives while trying to really improve upon my pedagogy and learn some science. Mindful I knew none of it. And Literally about eight weeks later, there's a fight in class and this skinny little kid sit, makes a joke about a girl's mother. And this girl is a big girl, tattoos, sleeves, both <laughs> arms, piercings, the whole bit. And this kid hits her right between the eyes with a joke about her mother. The whole class is laughing. The girl gets up out of her seat. She goes running across the classroom. And in slow motion, I'm thinking, my career is <laughs> over. You know, the little guy runs. He goes sticking his hand under the radiator. And then I'm like, OMG, here comes a weapon. It's going to be a gun incident. You know, this is getting, this is going from bad to worse. And all of a sudden, he pulls up and comes up with a handful of flowers. <laughs> Tons of flowers. 
And the whole class is like, WTF, where'd these flowers come from? And we look inside the box, and the box is filled with hundreds of flowers. It wasn't, they weren't onions. What they were were bulbs, like daffodil bulbs. And we didn't oh, know no this. Way. And they had bloomed from the heat and the moisture. They got forced. And literally, we had hundreds and hundreds of beautiful flowers in the class in the middle of November. The boys wanted to give them to girls for sex. The girls wanted to sell them and give them to teachers. Who could we bribe? And right then and there was a teachable moment. So we looked further in the box, and it turns out we had been invited to go and plant these bulbs in a local park. People, you know, hey, Steve, I know you have kids. It's a great labor force. Come on down. We're going to teach. Anyway, long made short, my students and I that year planted 15,000 bulbs across oh New York. Oh, my gosh. To commemorate 9-11. We put farms and, and flowers everywhere. And we went on to win the Golden Daffodil Award. I got to bring, you know, 15, 17 gang members down to City Hall. And I got them cleaned up. And when we showed up, everyone thought we were the honors program. Um, I'm like, you guys have no idea. It goes to show you with a little bit of direction what can happen. Anyway, the long made short, it came at a time when um, New York City was advocating for more green parks, more green space. Mayor Bloomberg had, um, you know, incentivized buildings and real estate to use green roofs for water retention. And I wound up getting those 17 kids really good jobs. And what do we know about, you know, children who come out of prison between the ages of 22, 18 and 22? Traditionally, within six months, they're back inside. And literally, not only did these young people all go on to graduate high school, they all went on to living wage jobs. And I stay in touch with them to this day. So we gave birth to the green machine back then. And then we started ultimately learning that, you know, many of our students, for a variety of reasons, have familiarity with hunger for a variety of reasons. Um, so they all understand issues of food security and food insecurity. And um, once we realized that plants were food, um, that was game on because realize, you know, uh, most of my shopping was done in a bodega. And while, yes, I was a college athlete and did hope and aspire to play in the NBA along the way, as I got older, I got very hungry, um, you know, and, and basically what's available to me is the clown, the king and the colonel. And, you know, <laughs> I went from being a nimble athlete at 185 with a 45 inch jump to 330 pounds with a 54 wow. inch waist and had a heart attack in school. Oh. Had a ceramic liver, became a diabetic, was on medication. You know, all these issues about obesity being the face of hunger and overfed and undernourished, all of these things came home in a huge way. So remarkably, we started learning about vegetables as opposed to ornamental plants and, and all that other stuff. And what happened is Whole Foods very graciously gave my students, the first Whole Foods in New York City, an opportunity to come to the store. And we had never been to supermarkets like this in our lives, particularly coming from the South Bronx. Um, so to go to a supermarket like that was mind boggling, fascinating in and of itself to see the wealth, to see the bounty, to see the beauty. And then to see that people were paying cold, hard cash for beauty. We got drunk on tomatoes, literally just looking at the bounty in the aisles. And Whole Foods was kind enough to give us the opportunity to sell our produce and the rest of this history. Um, so no we've way. developed a lot of add value relationships. I'm the king of, uh, of quick response, as you may have noticed with email. If you write me, I'll write you back. If you call me, I will call you back. I believe showing up is very powerful. And long made short, you know, we went on from a moment to start a movement. And, and that movement continues to grow. As I got older and lost the weight and brought sexy back, I realized that, quite <laughs> frankly, it's easier to raise healthy children than fix broken men. And literally started this movement in elementary school kids where the art and science of gardening 
indoors, aligned to common core and reading writing skills, not only generates high performing schools, but children who are exposed to vegetables, who are exposed to environmental science, who are exposed to environmental and social justice issues, and literally have created, you know, the next generation of equity warriors coming right out of the middle of the South Bronx. So it's been remarkable. I like to say from hope to the Pope and from our greenhouse <laughs> to the Obama White House, not once, not twice, but three times. So amazing things happen. You know, I wrote all about it. You talked about the book. I have a great book. If you're out there and watching, please go to the Green Bronze Machine website and buy it. It's the only book in the world that comes with a double your money back guarantee. If you don't like the book, I'll buy it back for twice the price. But if you like it and love it, you'll be supporting a great mission. We have a kid's book called The Power of the Plant. I've gone on to write curriculum that is now being used in schools across the country and around the world. And um, it's just a, literally a matter of putting one foot in front of the other. Unreal. And the fact that it started at a fight, reaching behind <laughs> the radiator with flowers. I mean, before that, the curriculum was science. That was it was life altering for a number of uh, of individuals, including yourself. And right. uh, I'm I'm just looking at all the things that you've been able to to do. I mean, you've done you've done roof plants. You you were the first to install a green wall, the first indoor edible wall. Right. Good night. How how is what what's the impact been on the, with the kids? We talk, I love what you said uh, about raising healthy children versus fi fixing broken men. How have you seen this impact the lives of, of the kids and their families? And on top of that, this is a very diverse group. I lived in Manhattan for 10 years. And so seeing that diversity is just, it's amazing. I see this as bridging some amazing gaps that, that were before. What, what have you seen? So, uh, in you know, it, it, it's fascinating because, you know, number one, we are the poorest congressional district in America. The health and economic disparities indigenous to this community are, are, are mind-boggling and, and, and indicative of cities and also rural and Native American communities across the nation. So let me be clear. Communities like mine are not only under-resourced, we are over-extracted. And people are getting rich, filthy rich, off the dysfunction of this community. You know, simply put, you know, same race, same ethnicity, same demographics, three miles away. The lifespan is 15 years greater. So, you know, people my age, young men my age, I'm not young anymore. This is what the face of 60 looks like now, which is awesome. Because most, most 60-year-olds in this community are either locked up, dead, or on a walker, or on dialysis. So, you know, the fact that we have partnered towards 2,200 living wage jobs in the, in the county in New York State that has the highest unemployment and chronic underemployment speaks volumes. Those are families that is that those whose lives have been changed forever right. to take schools. And traditionally, this was a school that was underperforming. Um, now outperforms all citywide and statewide benchmarks and all 10 performance indicators of school performance, you know, speaks to high performing schools. So the impact here has been phenomenal. 165,000 pounds of vegetables. You know, think about what that means for people's tummies, for, for people's bellies um, on the health side and on the simply quenching hunger side. So we, we've been able to do things. We are the top 10 health and wellness program in America. We've won social innovation award after social innovation award. And what does it teach us? It teaches us that we are the ones that we are waiting for. That, you know, if it's got to be, it's up, it's going to be up to us. 
And, you know, communities that are not invited to the table, we can sit around and beg or we can build our own and grow something greater. And that's really what this movement is about, from disruption to delivery. And, and it's also the promise. It's the promise of opportunity. You know, don't talk to me about education if you're not talking to me about opportunity. It's really hard when people are struggling to pay the rent, have food on the table, dealing with epidemics of violence, unemployment, mental health issues, physical health issues, environmental constraints. Realize this is the asthma capital of the world. What goes on here and is what is normal here is abhorrent in other communities. It's easier to get liquor here than it is to get lettuce. Um, you know, so there are so many things that I can say, but the bottom line is this. When you expose young people to nature, you teach them to nurture. And when we teach young children to nurture, we collectively as a society embrace our better nature. When we move children away from the celebritization of food, of products and consuming content to producing their own food, to producing their own content and changing their own narrative, everything changes. And that's what this is about. So this is about democracy in every sense of the word. Yes, it's about food. Yes, it's about justice, but it's really about democracy. But on a day-to-day -day basis, it's really about leveling the playing field. You know, the greatest lever our nation has towards maintaining democracy and equity and ending poverty is public education. So high-performing public schools are absolutely essential. Uh, we just don't want to be on par. We need to outperform our peer index neighbors if we're going to thrive in today's economy, if we're going to be included, if we're going to compete. So for us, um, it's a lot of things, but make no doubt about it. Um, at the heart of our work is food, because the most important school supply in the world is food. Children will never be well-read if they're not well-fed. So getting children the food that they need to fuel their bodies and minds where they need it most and where it's often least available is absolutely critical. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my yeah, it's goodness. It's weird that we live in a, we live in a wow. society where it's, it's easier to get a dollar hamburger than something good to eat. Something right. Yeah. No, I mean, I can walk them. outside. That's why the kids called me the big cheese. You know, I was 330 pounds walking around <laughs> with pizza and a 44 ounce soda. I was the big cheese, literally. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's remarkable to your point. You know, they recently our student in this community, they just built a new Wendy's. It is the Taj Mahal of Wendy's. This big list. It, it's like the Mecca. It's red. It's shiny. It's got mirrors and a playground. It calls, it screams in the middle of the night with that big smile, Wendy, <laughs> and the frosting and the smoothie. And, you know, our students who grow tomatoes here in class and love growing tomatoes learn that Wendy's refused to pay the farmers one penny per pound more in Florida for the tomatoes that they were growing. And the children were really angry. And more often than not, the children who they were, they were angry because the farmers in Florida looked like their aunties, their uncles. The farmers yeah. looked like them. And so, you know, as parents, when kids say, uh, that's not fair, we say, oh, I don't want to hear about it in my house. But when children in school tell me that's not fair, it's my entry point. What do you want to do about it? So the children mm -hmm. organized a great boycott of Wendy's. You know, they've never stepped foot. And, you know, we're eating locally grown produce. It's every time I keep a burger out of their belly and replace it with a piece of citrus or a piece of produce or a salad or, you know, or beans or something that that's local or and and far less environmentally reprehensible, I am not only doing them a favor, but the planet a favor. And that's, you know, I've got a, a crew of vegans running around here in the South Bronx. We recently started a campaign called Hummus in the Hood, you know, and had kids dress up as carrots and peas and get out there and spread hummus everywhere. <laughs> I, your, your level of, of what I'll call stoke 
is off the charts. It's so contagious. It's so enthusiastic. I can see you as a beacon to all these kids and showing them exactly what they can do. And that leads right. me- If I can, you can. We all can. Yes. I like to say we are Americans, not Americans. <laughs> I love it. Well, that I will ask you this then. You you say something in, in your videos, and it sounds like an affirmation that you 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 teach the kids, and I hope I'm not slaying the way that this is pronounced. Is se pueda? Oh, si se puede, which means yes, we can. Now, oh. interestingly enough, you know, Barack Obama used that during his presidential campaign. What I did not know and what I learned is that it comes from Cesar Chavez and, and the farm movement. So si se puede, yeah. yes, we can. Um, technically, it should be si podemos, which means yes, we all can and we will. But, you know, that whole notion of yes, we can. Uh, yes, we will. Yes, we shall. Um, you know, to me, it's critically important. You know, and, and here's the interesting thing. When we talk about kids and farms and plants and products and the commoditization of children, if you will. You know, when you put a seed in the ground and the seed doesn't grow, uh, you don't blame the seed. We look at the soil. We look at the water. We look at the light. We look at the environment. But when we put kids in school and those kids don't thrive, we don't want to really examine the school. We blame the kids. Oh, they're bad kids. Oh, bad homes. In a lot of ways, we give plants and seeds more respect than we give children. And yeah. it's time that we start realizing that every child has unlimited ability to thrive. How are we nurturing them? What is the environment? What is the light? What is the soil? How are we feeding these kids? How are we activating you know, their cells so that you know, instantly they bloom, they thrive, and they seek the sun? That's what I want children to do is to seek the sun, the truth, the light, um, you know, and, and whatever their passion is. I'm very fortunate that I found my passion in um, in farming. And the beauty is, you know, plants and nature inherently works. You know, it's kind yeah. of cool. I'm not I'm not a genius. You know, honestly, I kill way more plants than I grow. I only post pictures of the living ones. <laughs> I never killed a child. You know, and inherently nature is going to succeed. So it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, the flip side is, with the whole advent of the fresh fruit, even before COVID, and we could talk about post-COVID and COVID, but you know, the whole advent of the fresh food movement really translates into economic opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the whole food movement, the fresh food movement, the locally grown food. So I meet a lot of kids who don't like vegetables, but I've never met a child who's allergic to money. And growing <laughs> food is a license to print money. Um, whether it's an ad value product, whether you're selling it, whether you're giving it away. You know, we have this amazing program here where I have my young children growing um, organic greens, leafy greens and microgreens for recovering cancer patients who are both food insecure and living in public housing. And these children are growing food and giving it to these seniors and watching the seniors eat it yeah. and regaining their health so they understand that food is medicine, that they're creating and fostering a sense of health and community. Seniors get better, they come, they become reading partners at the school, they become the eyes and ears of my community, my neighborhood watchdogs, so to speak. So in a lot of ways, children are learning things here that they would have never learned elsewhere. But you know, for me, it, I'm blessed that it's farming and plants, it's easy, it works automatically. Thank God I don't have to learn how to code or build a robot or learn how to do software. You know, I, I have a VCR that says 12 o'clock. <laughs> um, you know, account, so let's get real. But, you know, what you can have children do is remarkable. And case in point, look at our TV show. Let's learn with Mr. Ritz. Listen, this thing was filmed here, written by kids, featuring kids, and has two million views. 
and it's putting students at the heart of what is important. Like, who really gives a damn about the Kardashians? Um, you know, I want children to become their own celebrities. That's why we have this whole new campaign called Be Your Own Hero. So if you want to be your own hero, go buy your own Be Your Own Hero t-shirt from the Green Bronx Machine website. Please get out there, make a donation, support us, check out our products. 100% of the proceeds support the program. So there are all kinds of ways you can get involved. Yes. Oh, my goodness. This And it, it's the way that you you have expressed everything is people would it it would seem like people would jump on the bandwagon to be involved and uh what we'll, what we'll do is we'll put all the links in there if you if you'll share them with us and sure. make sure that that it's out to our audience because the things that you're doing over here and especially again seeing the power well, of you know it's not only over here so let me be clear Yes. Listen, we built the first wheelchair accessible farm and training kitchen in all of America for special needs children in a special needs school. So these kids have equal opportunity. I don't know if you heard about what we did in Appalachia, but, you know, yeah. Appalachia, where there is no food and there is no opportunity in the lowest high school graduation rate in the nation, compounded by the highest rate of opioid abuse and foster care youth. We took a we created a commercial farm in the middle of a mountains for residentially um, residentially placed foster care youth who lost their parents. And we did it as a way of creating horticultural therapy. Number one, I thought it would be cool to grow food. They seemed interested. It would be a job. But what these young men found um, in growing food, the therapy that they experienced in growing food was wild. And it became a successfully commercial venture. Now, the sad reality of foster care in America is what happens to most young men in Appalachia by the time they age out of foster care. Within six months, particularly for men, they're unemployed, incarcerated, um, addicted, homeless, or God forbid, dead, none of which is a good option. And we found that these young men who started taking care of these plants and nurturing things not only healed themselves and made a living, but, but really found peace in the world. And they didn't want to leave. So we wound up crowdsourcing and building them 10 tiny homes as transitional homes so that when they age out, they have a place to live for 18 months above and beyond the foster care system to get adult living skills where they're saving money, learning how to pay rent, how to maintain their own homes and continuing with work and educational opportunities to become a model for, you know, for the country, for the nation. And again, it's, you know, the same kind of thing. It's all about creating meaningful opportunities and disrupting the nonprofit industrial complex that thrives off the dysfunction of communities like ours. And let me be clear, I'm not here to knock nonprofit work. I'm very grateful for all of it. And I'm, but I do believe that, you know, we can't nonprofit ourselves into prosperity. Um, so what we really need to do is be innovative in how we fund nonprofit work, how we look at nonprofit and how we evaluate. It. And, you know, any nonprofit that competes with public education, whether it's for staff, um, whether it's how they pay their people, to me, you know, th these are things that we need to address as a nation if we really want to create meaningful opportunity for those who are least involved and least engaged and, and really end poverty. You know, I have this firm belief, you know, that we can feed the hungry and clothe the poor instantly. It's can we satisfy the rich? Um, you know, can we disrupt business? And that's the way I tend to think. Mm. Man, oh man. Interesting. I, I'm, oh, go ahead. go ahead, Jared. I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. I was going to say, I, so first of all, I, I got a few things rolling around in my head as I'm listening to you. And you, oh, man, this is just awesome. I just love <laughs> This is so exciting. <laughs> but thank goodness that it was a plant because, like you said, it's cool that you've, you, you tied into something. Um, in my opinion, the best kind of learning is when all of a sudden you realize, like, wait a minute, 
this has a relevance to me. You know, like you're talking about the seed and the environment and growing up and what what inputs are you putting in? And that directly correlates to people. Yep. You know 100%. what I mean? All of a sudden you turn around and go like, wait a minute, that's me. If I give myself the right water and the right light and everything else, like, thank goodness. I will try. You know, you're going to laugh. You know how I learned about the organic food movement? You're going you're gonna to love it. With a bunch of overage, undercredited young people who were addicted to marijuana. And they're sitting around telling me, oh, Mr. Rich, you got to use organic blunt wrap. And I'm like, what is organic? What's organic? And like, organic means it has no chemicals. And I'm like sitting here looking at a bunch of smoked out teenagers saying, oh, dude, you don't want chemicals messing with your weed. And all you do is get into Burger King. So when I learned what organic meant, that was a great transition. Like you wouldn't want to do that to your food either. Um, so it was a great transition for me. And then I made a tremendous shift in my diet. Um, I am not vegan. I am largely plant forward. I eat very little meat, very little chicken and very little fish, but some. And I'm, I'm working on that, um, you know, because I grew up with the mindset that, you know, meat uh, translated to prosperity. And I do enjoy the taste of meat. I just don't enjoy the realities of industrial meat production. Um, so, but once I transitioned to a largely plant forward diet, wow, everything changed for me. My health changed, my attitude changed, my energy levels changed. Um, you know, so it, it's game changing. And, and my my understand my my world changed, so to speak. So, uh, uh, you know, I do have a PhD, but I say it stands for a plant and people hugging dude. And uh, you know, I think that you can coexist peacefully. And that, to me, is the most important thing. Hey, I have to have one question that's been bugging me ever since we started. Who sent the box? Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, the New York City Parks Department. You know, they got it, and it was from the you know from the daffodil, the Golden Daffodil Movement, which was largely responsible for commemorating 9/11. They plant daffodils, so every year in the fall, daffodils would come up into perpetuity, reminding people of 9/11. And it was started by New Yorkers for parks to create an awareness around the need for public space. And that's exactly what we have done. We have taken, you know, unproductive places and turned them into aspirational spaces and places where you can grow food, where you can grow hope, where you can grow opportunity. We just installed a farm indoors at Yankee Stadium that's going to be providing produce for the stadium that's going to be run by kids that's going to become a self-sufficient revenue generating model. And it's really exciting because the young kids are so excited, especially the little ones, to go and plant their plants at Yankee Stadium. Um, so, you know, there are lots of ways of rethinking the way we have done things. And I think life before COVID has certainly called for it. Life after COVID demands it. And we're just determined to get it, you know, get it right. And, you know, I believe from our little humble corner of the globe, we just might change the world. And we're absolutely determined to do that. One student at a time, one classroom at a time, one school at a time, one book at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Man, Stephen, I... I have been inspired. I have been, I have been amused, uh, humored in a way that that uh, is an impetus for action by what what you have been been saying here. So and let's it, talk about action because yeah. the way you do one thing is the way you do anything. That's what I've learned. Uh, yeah. One foot in front of the other. You know, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start in order to be great. And, you know, I didn't accomplish this overnight. I did it one step at a time, one th one thought at a time. I, I will say that showing up is very powerful. And, you know, all the data points to one thing that's really remarkable. 
is that children who have access to one kind, caring adult in life will succeed. Um, you know, schools are getting better. The Internet is getting better. There's access to information. We're conquering the digital divide and continuing to address it in equitable ways. But children who have access to one kind, caring adult, someone who says, I hear you, I believe in you, and I appreciate you, and how can I help you, really is the greatest prognosticator for success. And the coolest thing is that doesn't cost anybody anything. You'll never go broke giving love. And this movement is all about love. Man. So that's really that that that's what this is about. I, you know, I'm determined to be that one kind, caring adult for as many children as possible. You know, I recently celebrated one million pictures with children in cheese hats. Who would have thought, you know, <laughs> um, who would have thought? But and, and in many ways, I feel like I'm just getting started. Please check out the trailer for our new documentary. It's on the website as well uh, called Generation Growth. We're hoping to debut that across the nation. And, you know, these are just exciting times. You know, they're also very dangerous times, too, mm -hmm. um, because we are living in a time where democracy and equity is really threatened. Listen, when I was a young man, I remember there were two water fountains you could drink from both. Now we have cities that have no water. Um, so, you know, we've gone from fighting for equality to fighting for our existence in some places. Um, and it's important to realize that there are those who would take our very civil rights that, you know, our parents and grandparents fought for and died for. And, and literally chuck them out of the way for it for, for a selected interest. So for us and for me, the degree to which we resist injustice is the, any injustice is the degree to which we are all free. And the opposite of this work is hard. Let me be clear. It's not easy, but it's very rewarding. And it starts with one step. But the opposite of courage is not cowardice. The opposite of courage is conformity, because even a dead fish can go with the flow. And I am not a dead fish and neither are my students. So we are determined to swim and spawn and we've got to get out there and make epic happen. Hey, hey Stephen, I want to, I want to get a little, a little kumbaya on you here a little bit. So you, let, let's say we have a, a concrete wall in downtown Manhattan and you get a student or a, a young person and you take a seed and you take that person. What is it about planting that seed and that whole process that follows after that. What is it about that? What is it about having that greenery? What is it about having, you know, taking care of that plant and nurturing it? What Listen, have you seen water that doing that to that person? You know, when you real, when you connect children with the notion that they are part of a living, breathing ecosystem, that they are part of a much larger thing, you know, we're so focused on me, me, me. We're so focused on social media. We're so focused on, ooh, my voice, my choice. But when you realize that you are part of a living, breathing ecosystem, and you have a very critical role to play, mm -hmm. that is game changing. You know, I will tell you, I hear this from the most hardened um, ex-offenders in the world, some of the most traumatized veterans. When you take a teeny tiny seed and you put it in someone's hand, you're making them a promise that they're going to see that seed germinate and grow to greatness. And, you know, look, I've been growing plants a long time. Um, I still marvel that I could put this teeny tiny thing in the ground and 60 days later I have a big watermelon or a big stalk <laughs> of corn or a whole, you know, a whole classroom full of tomatoes. I marvel at that. Yeah. But those seeds are also the ideas that live in our heads. You know, I came up with this idea many years ago. People thought I was crazy. Many people still do think I'm crazy. Some days I question myself. But it goes to show you that a seed well planted, an idea well planted, a concept well nourished 
can really give us a crop of epic proportions. And that's what this is all about. And at the end of the day, we want to feed our minds, feed our bodies. You know, let's be real. The legalization movement of marijuana is creating untold opportunities for those who have been at the brunt of the bath um, around criminal justice issues. So there's that piece that's ra rather exciting. The fact that, you know, we are facing what with global food crisis, global warming, um, increasingly uh, diminished resources that you can grow food, you know, zero miles to plate and not be dependent on fossil fuel, not be dependent on so much water. But these, these are amazing things that are really going to revolutionize the way we live in cities, the way we feed ourselves and, and the way people socialize and, and, and normalize. So, you know, it's it's a great time to be a plant. It's a great time to be a plant based guy. Um, it's a great time to be a young person willing to make a difference in the world. And it starts with, with a sense of democracy. And that democracy is also rooted in choice. You know, you vote with your fork, you vote with your mouth, you vote with your wallet. Um, and when you go from being a consumer to a producer, everything changes. Um, and that's what this is really about, giving ch children agency and voice and choice and advocacy. Gosh, so many nuggets of wisdom here, man. <laughs> I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be listening to this quite often. Uh, well, come on down. I mean, you know, we are an open book here, and I mean that sincerely. We yeah. welcome visitors. You know, our classroom, our humble classroom here, in the middle of the South Bronx, in the middle of public housing, has hosted visitors from sixty countries. We've wow. been the subject, you know. There's no social media team here. There's no PR firm. There's no comm team. I'm an unpaid volunteer. There's my wife and a part-time consultant. The rest is people power. But, you know, we, we've hosted visitors from 60 countries, you know, and had more media than one could shake a stick at because that's the power of people. And I like to say our advocacy is our authenticity and our authenticity is our advocacy. So we are an open book. Come on down. We love hosting people. I love it. And bring uh, lots of money and spend some, please. No, but, <laughs> but bring, bring your passion, bring your purpose. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Stephen, I can't thank you enough for taking your taking the time. I know it, it was it was a, a little bit to get get a hold of yeah, you. Yeah, today but... was testing. We had state testing, and it went long. So the little guys were up here on the other side of the classroom. Uh, you know, just some context. You know, that's the other side of the classroom. There, there's, there's a farm. Um, but you know, we've had a busy day. Lunch is going to be over for them in three minutes, and they'll be back up in here. Yeah. So, um, but again, you know, it starts by sharing. It starts by caring. So I am always delighted and honored to share. I am always blessed and privileged to be able to care. And hopefully, you know, um, now that you know more, you'll want to share more. And now that you share more, you know, people will want to get involved in a bigger, better way. So please go to the Green Bronx Machine website, sign up for our newsletter, make a donation, buy a book, do something. But most importantly, uh, do something today that you and your future self will thank you for. You know, it all it, the ripple effect of all this, you know, every drop fills the cup. So, you know, think about what you eat, think about what you're buying, think about who you're signing on to and giving your email addresses to and how you spend your time on social media. Think about acting with purpose. You know, let's move from a transactional mindset to a purpose mindset and really think about the relationships that we can grow and nurture for the rest of our lives in line with our health and the health of the planet. So that, you know, uh, I think, you know, that uh, literally we're just borrowing the planet from our children and our grandchildren. So let's treat it, you know, let's treat ourselves as guests, not owners. 
Sadly, we like to own things. That's like the big American way of, oh, you know, ownership, ownership. I think, you know, we little, live a little more humbly, live a little more kindly, live a little more openly. Everybody stands to benefit. And remember, no one will grow broke giving love. So please find something you love to do and do it with passion and purpose. Thank you.